Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Israel has moved into Gaza and Benjamin Netanyahu will not be paying attention to a call for a ceasefire. Gaza altogether. And most despicably, Hamas is holding over 200 Israeli hostages, including 33 children, holding them, terrorizing them, keeping them as hostages. Every civilized nation should stand with Israel in demanding that these hostages be freed immediately and freed unconditionally. I want to make clear Israel's position regarding the ceasefire. Just as the United States would not agree to a ceasefire after the bombing of Pearl Harbor or after the terrorist attack of 9-11, Israel will not agree to a cessation of hostilities with Hamas after the horrific attacks of October 7th. And neither should they. But the people calling for a ceasefire are calling for aid to, to not Gaza, but to Hamas. They're calling for support for Hamas. On college campuses, across America, we're seeing support for Hamas. In places around the globe, we're seeing support for Hamas. It isn't pro-Palestinian. At a McDonald's. A McDonald's in Birmingham. Somebody spray-painted mice. This is in the UK, not in uh, Alabama. They spray-painted mice. Dropped the mice into the McDonald's while screaming, Blank Israel. This, in a video that is captioned, Enjoy your rat burgers with a guy who is wearing a Palestinian flag on his head and has on his car, free Palestine. You have got students ripping posters off the wall. Posters of people who are missing, people who are hostages in Gaza. You have got student groups screaming F Israel, support for Hamas. What you are looking at, in case you were unaware, is a worldwide program. The definition, uh, gladly, because you've probably seen it, P-O-G-R-O-M, pogrom. An organized, often officially encouraged massacre or persecution of a minority group, especially one conducted against Jews. The so-called elites, the so-called giving, the caring, the people who bring you diversity, equity, and inclusion, the people who claim to be opposed to all bigotry, the people who claim to be decent and moral, lead the pogrom. They lead the attacks. They will not condemn student groups. They encourage it. Notice that a condemnation is different than a prevention. If some student group wants to hate Jews, well, there's an idea of whether or not you would fund such a thing, but it's different than whether or not the group can get together and have meetings about how much they hate Jews. I think it's a weird thing to do personally, but I do not know if I get to stop a group from doing that. But that you could have 
professors at any university, on any level, not condemn this, administrators not condemn this, afraid to speak out. Well, that's how the pogrom, the pogrom grows. That's how it builds. That's how all the people who screamed never again find themselves in the again. We're through the looking glass. We are not in a place of debate. There is the Yetzirah and the Yetzirah the evil and the good. There is the right and the wrong. And there are the facts on the ground. You think there should be a ceasefire? You want Hamas to be victorious. You think Jews should avoid buildings or hide in the attic? You want Hamas to be victorious. What does Hamas being victorious mean? It means Jews are dead. If you think it's okay to chant from the river to the sea, you favor genocide. If you do not condemn such actions, whether that be the mayor of Indianapolis or whether that be the governor of New York, you support Hamas. We're not debating. We're watching it happen. It's right in front of your eyes. And you don't even have to clockwork orange the thing. You can blink. It'll still be there. You are watching a worldwide pogrom. When they invade an airport in Russia to the point where a flight that's coming in from Israel has to be diverted and the airport has to shut down, what else do you call it? I could show you videos of 19-year-old Asian students at George Mason University ripping down posters of missing Jews and Israelis, not necessarily Jewish. She's ripping it up in front of somebody, videotaping her. Why are you doing that? She's just smiling. She doesn't know why she's doing it, this little child. But she was told Jews bad because Israel bad because because Palestine It doesn't even become a sentence. Palestine, good. Israel, bad. And then they repeat it like these Pavlovian freak children. Because their professor will put the Jew in the corner like they did at Stanford. By the way, you're a Jewish student. You stand in the corner. What the hell is wrong with you? It's just a college. You're paying to go there. You can pay to go somewhere else. Tell the professor to kiss your ass. Tell the professor to kiss it. You can tell him worse. That's up to you. But I'm on radio and there are rules. What are you worried about? Getting a degree from Stanford? Stanford sucks. How about that? What's the last good thing to come out of Stanford? Andrew Luck? That guy quit. That is that is a football Colts reference, people, and that ain't bad. I'm going to go with that. I even got a laugh from producer Jason. You know I'm on the right track. Guys, you're the ones paying for the education. You're going to pay for a professor to tell you to, to stand in the corner? Tell him to kiss off. Tell her to kiss off. Don't worry about it. What? The grade matters? Maybe you got to start asking yourself, in a worldwide pogrom, what matters? When the president of Indiana University can't clearly state that Hamas is a terrorist organization and will not engage that leadership, she had to be cajoled into it. Maybe you're okay with the second statement. 
It's okay to say, what the hell's wrong with you? You're paying. Same thing is true in picking a, a university. You go to Cornell University, where they, they draw blank Israel on the ground. You have professors who are thrilled by what Hamas has done. And then you've got situations at the kosher dining hall where the university tells students to avoid the building. Avoid the building? The first thing you do is show up, sit down, and have yourself some brisket. Live in fear of these people? I don't know if I can wear my Star of David. I don't know if I should have a mezuzah on the door. I have got... Where are they? Hold on a second. Jason, where are they? They're in here somewhere. I know I have them. So so years ago... This is true. I've, oh, come on. Where are they? I'm literally standing up in my studio right now. Years ago, I had uh, mezuzahs. Uh, and and uh, there was a situation on, I, forget, I think it was on the IU, the Indiana University campus, where there was some anti-Semitic flyer or whatever. And I said, I'll provide a mezuzah to whoever needs one. And for, I, don't, I forget what happened, but it just, it didn't get off the ground or we didn't get them out in time. And, and it was just, it was weird. It was a reminder to me. So early on in my, my radio career, I, I got I to gotta have a plan before I say words. <laughs> Got to gotta have a plan, really and truly, because you got to be able to do everything. Um, I'll order 10,000 mezuzahs right now. You got a question? Uh, um, a mezuzah, you know, it, uh, as, as commanded, you, prayers on, on, on the door. Because somebody's a, a freak and, and, and wants you to live in, in fear, you're going to live in fear? Look, I can appreciate if there's a moment that you're on the street, you're avoiding a problem. But nobody who's Jewish and nobody who's non-Jewish should ever have to put themselves in a position of, oh, I guess I can't speak out. I don't want anybody to hurt me. We don't avoid the building. We don't not put a mezuzah on the doorpost. No, 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 no. That's not how it can work. Because that's how the pogrom is built. Get you to be afraid. Get other people to be afraid of you. Oh, I can't be associated with them. They're Jewish. I might get hurt. Oh, so I got to put them in arm's length. Always remember that. The Jew hatred that we see from people like Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib and Andre Carson and Corey Bush and Ocasio-Cortez is not just about hating Israel. It's not just about hating Jews. It's about keeping non-Jews away from Jews. It's about isolation. Remember, that's also what progressivism is about. Isolation so nobody engages and so therefore it is easier to to destroy things. Like, for example, Western civilization, which of course is what all of this is about. The pogrom is focused on Jews, but the result is you, Jewish or non-Jewish, have a worse life. You have a worse America. You have a worse world. You have a worse future. Your kids are screwed. That's the objective, that's the goal, that's the desire. The Marxists have been telling you, democratic socialists, democratic socialists, my butt, these are commie pinko Jew-hating freaks. Everybody knows it. It is as clear as the nose on your face. These aren't good people. These aren't people who just see it differently. These are people who absolutely want to destroy, destroy the West. 
Harvard wants to put together now a, a, a we've got a commission to deal with anti-Semitism. To quote Clue, it's a bit late for that. We see you. You know what else we see? We see Shawnee Lauk. I believe that's how I pronounce her last name. L-O-U-K. She's a German-Israeli. I would just call her Israeli, but neither here nor there. She's a tattoo artist. Interesting for an Israeli. And she was at the music festival on October 7th when Hamas paraglided in and just started shooting people. Started butchering people. Started raping people. She is the one who was pictured in the back of the pickup truck. Her, at the time, we weren't sure if it was lifeless body. Part of her skull was found as Israel moves into the north of Gaza. Hamas aren't freedom fighters. They're butchers. They're barbarians who by their own code and their own creed and their own statements want Jews dead and they don't give a damn about Palestinian lives. They don't care. They don't care how many Palestinians die. They think it's good for their cause. And this 23-year-old stood no chance and they found parts of her skull. I got to admit, I don't even know how they test for such a thing. I don't know how they make that identification. What I do know is that you need to know that if you think what's happening is solely and exclusively about Jews, you don't understand what's actually happening. So let us be clear with one another. Friends do such things. The pogrom around the globe The worldwide pogrom is about excoriating, attacking, hurting, diminishing, and yes, killing Jews. But the goal of the pogrom is to get non-Jews to buy in. It is to isolate not just Jews, but non-Jews. To keep them from befriending, to keep them from speaking out, to keep them from standing athwart history yelling stop, to paraphrase William F. Buckley. And the people calling for ceasefires side with Hamas. And the people chanting from the river to the sea side with the Hamas. And the people who do not condemn those chanting for genocide, chanting from the river to the sea, side with Hamas. Say so. You don't have an option because it's them or it's you. And if it's them, there ain't no more you. I'm Tony Katz. extensively about what's going on with interest rates the 10-year treasury at 4.864 and that 30-year fixed well into eight percent tony katz tony katz today good to be with you find everything at tony katz.com just taking a look at what 
bank rate says uh, 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 how do i not have like a mortgage rate sponsor how do we not have for the amount that we cover this we honestly producer jason we gotta get on that national average is 8.09 on a 30-year fixed that so that's that's where we're we're at right now but i think the the you know, we, we have correlation, of course. You see the massive interest rates. You see the issue with, with real estate. Um, the houses aren't selling. Now, anecdotally, I can tell you two stories. One that I have seen as I look at things like Realtor and Zillow every day. I actually sometimes dur- during the breaks of the show, just to, just to clear the mind. I, I, all, all the time. And I'm seeing price decreases in houses everywhere. Everywhere. Now, I'm seeing some houses go for insane numbers, but I'm looking near where I live. Uh, in the first seven houses, I see two pri- oh, three price decreases. And I only see one pending. That's different. The first seven listings on Realtor.com. Three price decreases, only one pending. I think that says something. What we're hearing nationwide is that housing has come to a standstill. I spoke with somebody I know, a near, uh, a neighbor-esque-ish kind of person in real estate. They've got closings. They're doing all right. So certainly something could be happening in a neighborhood as opposed to nationwide. These things can be can be different. This is the Wall Street Journal. The money has stopped flowing in commercial real estate. That's different. Commercial and residential are two different things. What's the issue here? Well, construction loans. Construction loans are the issue here. And I would like to be the first person to say out loud, cities Better start rethinking all the little things they wanted done when putting in a new building. Well, if you're going to build a building, you have to make sure you plant 472 trees. Why? Why? Well, you got to make sure that you have enough sidewalk. to. Dude, nobody's going to walk on the sidewalk. What do I need sidewalk for? Oh, yes, see, see, usually one drainage ditch would be enough, but we need to make sure we're, we're taking care of the environment. So four of those, oh, we require this special little gadget uh, because it's, it's a commercial build. It's only an extra $32,000. Cities? Construction's going to stop. Why not make it easier? You have nonsense requests that you ask for because you, as a city and as a city council, are ridiculous. But when everything was hot, you could get away with it because what did it matter? Everything was going to go up, up, up. Yeah, it's just the city abusing me. Yeah, it's just them making a couple extra bucks. I mean, it's what it is. And so I'll get it done. No, 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 that's over. It's over, Johnny. I mean, 100 percent over so start making the changes because there's got to be a lot of empty projects now that'll create some opportunity when the prices come down but not at eight percent mortgage rates 
As we said, Israel's invaded Gaza. Major Mike Lyons retired, has the details and the tactics. That's coming up next. We've been continuously speaking to and to their attorney on this show, Abudo Call. He and his wife are trapped there with their one-year-old. And he told us last week that he got a letter, a notification email from the State Department, but it had no updated content in terms of a way to get out. Are the demands being made by Hamas, are any of them achievable at this point? Should they have hope? We believe that there will be a way to get those Americans out. We'd like to do that today if we could. I don't I don't know how close we are. We believe there's a way to do this. We just have to work at it and we're going to and we're going to continue to do that. The question is, are they further away now that Israel has taken parts of Gaza, that they've started to hit the tunnels and they indeed have taken the main road between the north and the south of Gaza? acting as a choke point. I am not opposed to any of these maneuvers by Israel. I'm asking the question. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Major Mike Lyons joins us right now. Retired United States Army, West Point a graduate, military analyst all across your dial, all across your television screens, and our guy uh, over here. Let's start with the basics. There was no doubt that uh, Benjamin Netanyahu was not going to listen to any conversation regarding ceasefire. There's no doubt based on people I know within Israel and certainly outside conversations that Israel is about to listen to a conversation about ceasefire. That is a conversation for the political left in America and the Jew haters uh, across the globe. Now Israel, after three weeks, has started to make this incursion. A, why did it take so long? And now the follow-up, give us an idea of where they are, what they've taken, what the strategy is. So, Tony, uh, Israel is fighting this 100% on their terms. They're not fighting it the way David Petraeus wants to fight it. They're not fighting it the way CNN wants them to fight it. They're not fighting it the way, I, I don't know, pick your, your, your American, you know, liberal or conservative organization wanted to fight it. They thought they were going to line 20,000 troops up along the border, go in heavy, create lots of damage, and 72 hours it would all be done, and we'll all go back to everything else that we've been doing. That, that, that is not what's happening here. For the past 25 days, they've been conducting an air campaign that's been surgical, and they are completely destroying infrastructure inside the northern city of Gaza. And only in the last few days have they gone in in ground incursions and raids, and they're going in in very small units, uh, protecting their forces with tanks. And they're going after the tunnels, and they're doing it tunnel at a time and building at a time. They are they're of course concerned about civilian casualties. Then I'm not saying they're not, you know, they're committing war crimes against an enemy that commits war crimes every day. We're we're like we're arguing over, you know, kind of what's going on here. But they're fighting for their existence. And when you fight for your existence, you're going to have disproportionality when it comes to contact and conflict. And there's going to be civilian casualties. So from this point, from my perspective, from what Israel is doing, they have shut out the rest of the world, and they are not going to stop until Hamas's military capability is completely destroyed. So we know a, a, a couple of things, and, and I, I, I agree with you there. They're going to fight uh, on their terms. But talk to me uh, about how they have entered Gaza, and was this what you were expecting, or is this surprising to you? So they, they, they've entered in three locations, two from the north, one close to the coastline with, again, smaller units. They've only egressed in about 
three kilometers. You know, kilometers. It's not a lot. Not a lot of great distance. And in the south, they had a, a spot where they're trying to cut off basically anybody that's going to escape to the south of Gaza. Right? You look at a map. You know, Israel is allowing safe passage for any civilian that can get there, and they're they're not. It doesn't look like they're going to have a lot of activity going on in the southern port, portion of Gaza, waiting for the Egyptians and anybody else that wants to come in and help out. But you know, like I said, the Egyptians knocked the wall down to get some trucks across. They can't build the wall up fast enough. Uh, when when that's through, so you know, there, no one's getting. Lebanese are getting no help from any of these other Arab countries as well. But no, I, I'm not surprised. And they're going to go slowly, and they're going to um, again target these tunnels. They're going to flip this thing on its head. They're going to say, okay, you want to if you if you want to use these tunnels, we're not going to chase you down these tunnels. We're just going to destroy them and blow them up and crater them and the like. Now that does have a downside. It has a downside when it comes to the hostages. But I think that's why they're going slowly. They're trying to gather intelligence and gather information and, you know, do the best they can. The, the person that was rescued yesterday was wandering around Gaza, obviously somehow had escaped. We don't really know the whole story, but it was not a situation where she was released or anything like that. Talking to Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army. We read yesterday that there is a major street that goes to the center of Gaza, literally from the north uh, to the south. I believe it is Salah Eddin Street. Mm-hmm. And that Israel has gained control of this in a certain area, which would really separate the north from the south, allowing them to take uh, Gaza City uh, mm-hmm. and and slowly work their way through it. Is the plan from Israel, as you know it, to then release northern Gaza back to the quote-unquote Palestinians? Or is there about to be a change in geography? No, so I, I don't know. I don't think they know either. I, I don't think Israel knows what's next. You know, that's the again the question David Petraeus and everybody keeps asking them, and everyone is so concerned about. And that's when you're in the United States and you're concerned about going into another country and blowing it up and then figuring out what's next. It, this is Israel's home. This is their existence. So I don't think they care about what's next. Um, they're going to try to find people that are going to lead the Palestinians in, in northern part of Gaza, but that's only after the military capability has been destroyed. So I think that's where the focus is going to be. This, they've said, you've heard um, Netanyahu and you've heard Israeli spokesmen say that their center of gravity is there in Gaza City. So that's where they're going to focus on. And, it, and this is going to still take, I think, months. We're, not, we're still a long ways away from whether or not that, you know, that, that's going to get controlled back over to some group of people. But it's not happening until Israel is completely assured that there's no military capability in that part of Gaza. Let's uh, now go into uh, what, uh, not necessarily what comes next, where else are we looking? If we look at the map of Gaza, we've seen, uh, as you said, these entry points, you're talking about entry points coming from the Mediterranean. You talk about the tunnels, and you talk about the objective is not to search them, but to destroy them, and the issue being, of course, hostages that are in the tunnels. Talk about the complexity of this tunnel system, the ability to have created in the first place, and the... And, and the task ahead, uh, to, to what advantage does Israel gain and what is uh, the possible damage being done? So we're seeing tactics like, for example, smoke, sending smoke into a tunnel entrance with the place where they know it begins and then looking to see where the smoke comes out of and to trying to find another point and then determining the extent and the length of that. They don't have the technology. They don't have things 
um, that, that they would like to have in order to make them safe. But they're also not going to send IDF soldiers down these tunnels to go look for the situation to walk into booby traps. They're just not going to they're not going to fight that fight, which is, again, what Hamas thought they were going to do. And they're, they're not going to do that. Um, the tunnel system is very complex. They're, they're underneath hospitals and, and civilian buildings and the like. And it will there's an implied task that a lot of that infrastructure will be destroyed on the top. So, so Hamas wants to drag Israel down to its level and try to fight it there. Israel's not going to go there. They're just going to surround and, and, and cave it in, basically, on who's ever there. Now, again, that's going to mean other casualties, but Israel's willing to you know, take that risk. The risk that Israel also takes is one from Iran. We know that the USS carrier group Gerald R. Ford, we know that the carrier group Eisenhower is in uh, the, the, the Mediterranean. You have a, a destroyer, name eludes me, uh, on, on the other side. Uh, what is the saber rattling from Iran now, considering just a week ago there they were at the United Nations basically threatening the United States and Israel? So, and this is where the fuse gets lit and it gets worse if um, the Israelis feel that they must attack into Iran disproportionately in order to stop them from supporting Hamas and other militia fighters that, are, that Iran has sent after them. So Iran has used these proxies to, to wage this war. Um, and uh, the question is whether Israel is going to decide to launch some kind of attack into Iran. I, th- I think that's a potential outcome. Maybe it's six months from now. Maybe it's a year from now. Um, but at some point, Iran is undeterred. And they're undeterred by us because we don't respond you know, disproportionately. They, Iran's killed more U.S. soldiers in Iraq and Afghanistan in the past 20 years than the enemy has. Iran... Uh, is now killing our soldiers and damaging them and hurting them in places like Syria with their proxies. And what do we do? We we respond by hitting a logistical base. I, again, they've got to be deterred with a greater disproportional response, if that at all, especially against us as a bigger power. But if we continue to just play this kind of tit-for-tat game, this lather-rinse-repeat game, Iran's behavior is not going to change. What's it going to cause to change the Iranians' behavior? Um, Israel might have to soon find out to see what it's going to take. Well, what that's going to take is is not so much uh, the the question. It, it's it's a question of whether or not the United States and other nations are actually going to be behind Israel in their ability to put an end to the Hamas threat, which has been going on for years and, with all due respect, should have been ended years ago. Mm-hmm. What are you seeing from that international pressure? Is it all on Israel, or will that turn? towards Iran and other players like Russia and China. So I, yeah, I don't see Israel succumbing to that pressure. The question is, what does the United States do for the rest of the world? What side are we actually going to come down on here? Because it's clear. I mean, it is a bright line between good versus evil. And, and to watch people say that you know, Hamas can't be defeated because it's an ideology, it's like, well, tell that to the United States and the, and the powers back during World War II when the Nazis were an ideology. It's all about military capability and their, and their equipment. Israel needs allies. And, and to, to keep their eye on the ball, to try to gain other allies in the Abrams Accords and, and Saudi Arabia and the like, because at 50,000 feet, this is potentially a Shia-Sunni divide there as well. They need allies. And if they, could, if they can gather them, they'll be in great shape. But, I, you know, what, what, what Iran has figured out is that the Arab nations won't 
um, get together, and they haven't got together in history in order to take Israel out. You know, the Egyptians, the Syrians, the, the, the Jordanians, that they weren't able to do that in two wars. But what, what Iran's betting on is that these militia groups, this kind of a thousand cuts is going to do it. Um, Israel's not going to fight that battle. They're going to take it right to Iran if they have to, and that's going to mean a, a wider global scale regional war. You had put, uh, if you want to follow Major Mike Lyons, you go uh, to the uh, Twitter Xbox there, M-A-J for Major Mike Lyons, L-Y-O-N-S. Just as a follow-up on what you just stated, I am gobsmacked, you wrote, by some of the analysts who are confident Ukraine could defeat Russia and is winning that war, but don't believe Israel can defeat Hamas because it's an ideology and they have thousands of fighters. You just brought this up. Can you expand on that? Sure. I mean, what, what makes one, from a military perspective, thinks that you know you can't accomplish what you want to do from a foreign policy the same in the same direction? We have we have people that believe that the Iranians are winning. Um, that, or, I'm sorry, that the Ukrainians are winning and defeating Russia, an industrial power five times its strength. They're just they're holding their own, I and mean, we, we want to support them, obviously, and we don't want to see them lose and, and see them. But they're not vanquishing Russia anytime soon. But the same mentality can be brought to this fight that Israel is doing with an existential threat. They're not stopping, and and and, and these these comments about. Pausing and ceasefires and, and everything and the like is just it, it, it's mind-boggling to me when you hear a military person say that um, you know they're not going to be able to, to get the, rid of this ideology because um, they've got thousands of fighters. I just was okay. They're going to they're going to fight every last one of them. Then they're going to they're going to take you know from a military perspective they're going to take control of that geography whether um, the rest of the world likes it or not. That's going to happen. It sits right in their backyard. This is again not like the United States coming to Iraq mixing things up and then leaving. Uh, this is, this is, they're there. This is their home. It's a home, you know, game for them. So I'm just really surprised that people have not, people think that we're going to have the lather rinse repeat and Israel's going to stop here. Uh, they're not stopping for two seconds. Before I, I let you go, let's get to the, to the horror uh, situation of it militarily. What is for Iran a point of entry. Certainly, if they see the United States there on the uh, in, in the Mediterranean, that could give them pause. And some people wonder whether that's for a deterrence to Iran or deterrence to others, or maybe a deterrence to Israel itself. Everyone's got their own uh, un- unique point point of view there, and, and some mm-hmm. of it I, I don't buy into. There's a question of pressure that is is put, maybe possible more pressure on Russia and or China to get Iran not to engage. But is there a, is there a tipping point that is known that people like yourself look at that would say, okay, this is Iran's entry because they figure if it's about the elimination of Israel, which is the goal for these these so-called civilizations. Uh, there become there comes a, a now or never point, even if they were to try it at five years from now. Is there is there a point? I, I don't see Iran overtly entering. No, because they don't have to. Because they've been they've gotten away for forty years by doing what they've been doing, and the world lets them get away with it. So it's going to take another kind of deterrence. It's going to take a disproportional response to Iran for something that they do, that, that they know they do. So, you know, they decide to attack 
U.S. forces again, we should put their entire Navy at the bottom of the Persian Gulf. Not, not just one ship, not just, you know, we should just decide that's it. There should be, if we're going to create a deterrence for them, it's going to be something that's going to be disproportional and it's going to be, it's going to be completely to the point where they understand that uh, we're not kidding anymore and it's got, they've got to change their behavior. And until that happens, uh, Iran's going to just continue to go along this path because they get away with it. They get away with it because the rest of the world lets them get away with it. Just watch the United Nations. Just watch that the, we can't even get countries to agree what Hamas did was bad. Uh, and if this is, again, if this is not a bigger bright line issue right now in, in our lifetimes, I, I'm not so sure what is. Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army. Follow him on the Twitter X, M-A-J, M-A-J, Mike Lyons, L-Y-O-N-S. I appreciate you taking the time. We'll talk again soon. More is coming up. I'm Tony Katz, and this is Tony Katz Today. It is Halloween, and as a reminder, don't hand out Tootsie Rolls. Tootsie Rolls are not candy. Tootsie Rolls are devil scat. They are disgusting. They are horrific. They are a, a, a shame to you and to your people. Do not hand it out and do not accept it. Would you please? Wait. There it is. Much better. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. And this Halloween, uh, while people are getting dressed up in costume, I did not know that one of the costumes of the year was Vladimir Zelensky. The head of Ukraine. Turns out that Antony Blinken's son, a four-year-old, dressed up as the Ukrainian president before doing some trick-or-treating over there at the White House. First of all, I didn't know Antony Blinken had a four-year-old. Neither here nor there. You, you, uh, you dress your kid up as Zelensky? That's... That's weird, right? Uh, it's not just me. There's something about that idea that just makes you go, Ew, David. That's it's an odd thing to do with your kid. Right? Right. Right. Awkward. Very awkward. Find everything at TonyCats.com. You can be a supporter if you'd like. We'd greatly appreciate it. This is Tony Katz Today.